Um, if you're here for the very first time, uh, I'll be able to give a short recap. Uh, but this is a class on wisdom, right? We've entitled it Living the Good Life, Not to Be Clickbait. But, uh, you know, when you study what uh, God says about the nature of wisdom in Proverbs, it really is trying to offer us the best life possible, right? So recap, we talked about how that word wisdom in Proverbs is a word that means the art or the skill of living well. So what God is trying to give to us in the book of Proverbs is the idea of how do you know how to make the right or the best decisions in every single circumstance that you're in. So whether it's a, a big picture decision of choosing the right job or who to work for, or where you want to move to, or the church you want to go to, the person you want to marry, um, how much you should be seeking to save on a given month, all of these types of big picture decisions, this is where uh, the world of wisdom falls in. And Proverbs is, again, representing the fact that in life we can choose one of two paths. It's a path of wisdom where we're pursuing um, God's uh, pursuits, what he wants for us in life, or it's the path of folly um, that's choosing our own way, right? And so between those two, we saw how one leads to the path of what can be seen as the successful or the blessed life or the satisfying life, or you can walk down the path of folly, which leads to uh, destruction and hardship. We talked about the way that we find wisdom, especially in those first nine chapters of Proverbs, is really by three um, big picture things. It's having a heart that fears the Lord, right? So our relationship to God. It's attentively listening to God's word. So seeking his truth, his guidance in scripture, but then also humbly seeking outside counsel. So knowing that all of our perspectives and voices are limited and God has given us his church to be that extra source of guidance as we walk through um, all of life. <clears throat> so after the first nine chapters of Proverbs, right, the, the second half of the book is really the, the main meat of wisdom, so to speak. Um, that's where you start to hear all the different topics that uh, we started covering last week and we're going to cover for the rest of our class. Uh, unfortunately, as I've said, we're only going to get a small snapshot because there's so much to cover in the book. There's so much not only on the topics we're doing in these you know, four or so sessions, but just in general, um, God talks about everything under the sun uh, in this book. And unfortunately, we just can't get to all of it. Um, but what we covered last week was going over the importance of our speech. Right? If you remember some of those Proverbs, it was the fact that our words can bring both death and life um, to ourselves and to the lives around us. Um, our words are powerful. And so God tells us not only what we should be saying, right, the, the quality of our speech, but he also tells us how we should be saying it, right? And so if you were with us last week, we talked about the importance of tact, uh, not only your demeanor, the, the tone of what you say, but the timing of it as well. And, and wisdom is knowing the truth of God, but then also the wise way of trying to explain that truth to people in real life situations and circumstances. Uh, today, we're going to be covering a different subject, and if you have your handouts, you probably saw that. We're going to be looking at the dual topics of work and wealth, or I think as I have it on your handouts, uh, what did I say? It's like lavishness and laziness. Yeah, laziness. yeah, so again, you graduated at the Master Seminary, everything has to alliterate, so there you go. Um, but just the idea of what Proverbs, what God says about the nature of work uh, and the nature of, of our money. Uh, our resources, uh, our finances. And uh, it's great that the Mescatellas are here because Dave taught an entire class on that last year. So part of me wants to just, you know, throw you one and say, hey, you remember what? Yeah. <laughs> like, please, just teach a whole session. But I, I bring that up to really encourage you guys, if you want to learn more about this topic, what does the Bible say about the nature of our 
um, our resources and how to steward it well, there's a whole six-week class that I would highly recommend you check out. All that should be on the website, so feel free to take a look when you can. Um, but we're going to cover it briefly just today. So when we think about everyone's perspectives on these two topics, uh, it made me think of this. Does anyone know what this picture is called? Rorschach, okay, so Rorschach ink blot test, right? So what, what is this, or what is it for? It's a bat. It's a bat, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, anyone want to try to identify or explain what this is? It looks like a pelvis. A pelvis, okay, yeah, medically, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. What, what else do you guys see? A false face. Okay, almost like a distorted face, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, what, what else do you guys see? Yeah. Whatever you want it to be. Okay, whatever you want it to be, yeah, that could be true too. A goat. Uh, oh, like a goat face, okay. Yeah, almost like a Halloween scary looking one, that's true. Okay, yeah. Yeah, th those were uh, really interesting uh, answers you guys gave. So yeah, if you guys know the name, it is a Rorschach ink blot test. And, and this isn't a wholesale endorsement of psychology. We can have a whole other conversation about that as you want. It's just a fun little exercise. Because the idea of it is, you know, these are very ambiguous pictures that you show to people. And basically from people's responses, you get a general sense of maybe who they are, how they're thinking. Again, not that this is a fully scientific and you know, approved thing, but it's just interesting to see how you can look at these vague pictures and kind of hear from people's perspective on how they think about you know, this picture. I would have never thought pelvis, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it's enlightening, right? Yeah. You know, so I was waiting for someone to say, oh, that looks like gloomy death, but um, that's probably just how I think. So. But uh, I, I bring this up because what... Yes, when it comes to the thought of work and wealth and finances, there's also a whole myriad of approaches, even just here in this room. Um, you know, when you think about how you grew up, maybe what your mom or dad or whoever you knew, um, how they talked about hard work or lack thereof, how they talked about finances and spending and what was important. Every single one of us probably has a very different background. And, and you could spend an hour just hearing each unique perspective. And I'm pretty sure most of us would have a very different upbringings in, in what we heard. And so I, I think it's interesting where, you know, when we think about finances and work, this is one of those subjects that if you're not intentional in studying it from a biblical perspective, we can walk through our entire life just going off of what we were told. You know, what you hear in the news or, or what you read on uh, in Forbes or, or the Wall Street Journal and the like. Um, but it's important that we understand, again, what Proverbs, what God has to say about these subjects, because it, it is important. Uh, like I said, this is a very, very short amount of time to cover a gigantic section. And so we're just going to hit some of the highlights, a couple themes to be thinking about. And I would encourage you to read through the rest of Proverbs and the rest of Scripture to unpack it more. But I hope in the short time we have, it would at least leave you with a little bit to think about here. So um, this is where we're going. Uh, the first general section is going to be on the importance of work. And then secondly, we'll look at what God says about wealth or our finances or in general, our resources. Um, so I found four general uh, principles in the book. Again, there's many others you could probably find if you were to look more carefully. But as always, it would be great if we can have a couple people that read some of these passages here. So can we find someone to read Proverbs 26, 14, and 15? 
Okay, great, Lauren. And then Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. Great. And then, uh, yeah, then Dan, you can find the following one after that. Someone find Proverbs 20, verse 4. Any takers? Okay. Then let's have someone get Proverbs 26, 13, and 16. Okay, and then Proverbs 21, verse 25 to 26. Anyone got that? Dave, thanks for volunteering. Oh, yeah, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 25 to 26. Yeah, so just hold on to that. We're going to go through all of these. Um, and, and every single one of this will hit on a different theme. So first, let's read Proverbs 26, 14, and 15. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Yeah, so one of the themes you hear in this book is this picture of a person called the sluggard. Uh, it's not the word slug, although that, you know, very much kind of captures the idea. But a, a sluggard is the individual who is lazy in the book of Proverbs, right? So if you were thinking about the wise individual versus the fool, this is a type of the fool. Uh, and so, you know, as we're seeing here in this picture, uh, the sluggard is very much lazy. He doesn't even want to start the day or, or start activity. It says, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard on his bed. Right, the sluggard is the individual that's glued to the bed, doesn't want to get off, might roll back and forth, but can't actually get off of it. Uh, as you're reading through Proverbs, you're going to notice a couple of these traits. Right? The sluggard is the individual that cannot or will not start tasks, whether that's work or goals or moving forward with life. Or the sluggard is a person who's very quick to stop. Right? Maybe he or she is forced to begin work, but um, doesn't know how to continue it. This is an individual that cannot finish what he or she has started. Um, but in this verse, right, again, tying a sluggard to the idea of the fool, you're saying that uh, sluggardness is folly manifested in your work habits. Right? So again, we have the wise individual, we have the fool. The fool is the individual who is not only seeing the world in the wrong way, but that folly will actually manifest itself in character and actions, right? And namely in this idea that um, they cannot finish what they've started. They cannot work diligently or work hard. And we see this continued on in Proverbs 6, 9, and 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. <clears throat> Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Hmm. All right, so you're hearing that same idea of how long will you lie there, right? Again, not that it's, it's wrong to love sleep, but this person is literally just staying there in the bed and can't even get out. And again, this is important because as you're noticing, he's saying that if you're not careful, if you continue just to indulge in sleep and slumber and not working hard, it's going to lead to what? It says in verse 11, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so for the individual that's not willing to work diligently or work hard as God has called us to, um, they're actually, that will actually lead to poverty suddenly and unexpectedly. Right? And so this is what God is trying to warn us against. Not only uh, should we be seeking to work hard because God wants us to, right? Because that is a, a trait, discipline, and diligence, which is good. But the opposite actually leads to long-term hurt um, in our lives. Does anyone know any passages in even the New Testament that talks about the nature of our work? How Christians should be thinking about um, working? Any verses or thoughts come to mind? Ephesians 
Okay. Oh, Bond says that today your masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you did Christ. So you serve your master as you would, would Christ. Yeah. Okay, good. So in that case, it's the idea of a, a bond servant, you know, with a, a master, but very much the idea of when a person's working, when that individual's working, it should be done unto Christ, right? That's very true. Uh, a similar verse, I think, you know, Colossians 3.23, uh, as believers were called to work as unto the Lord and for God's glory, uh, not for man's glory. So those are just some things to think about. Um, so what are the traits that a believer should be pursuing? Uh, what's a trait that a wise individual will have? It's that we're willing to work hard. Um, recognizing that this picture of the sluggard, as you read all of these different verses, as I encourage you to do, you get this picture of the individual that you don't want to be, right? We want to avoid that. Um, but it goes beyond just the, the idea of working hard um, to also planning ahead. Can we read Proverbs 6, 6 to 8? Sure. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a very well-known passage, right? The ant... The slugger, we, we all know this picture here, um, but it's this idea of, again, preparing ahead of time. So if we know that it's in the wintertime, which we're currently experiencing, that uh, there is the lack of food or the lack of resources and sustenance, you know, we understand that the animals of the world, even though I don't think an ant is technically an animal, it's a, uh, what is it called again? Insect. Insect, okay, yeah. It's been... <laughs> It's been a lot of years since I took in uh, chemistry or whatever it is. Biology, biology. Uh, math, science, I don't know. Uh, it's been a long time, but you get the idea, right? So these insects or the animals, like the squirrels of, of St. Louis, are, are working diligently for... <laughs> yeah, they're working for months ahead of time to get ready for the winter, right? It's not that, hey, it's suddenly December 1st and the snow is falling. Now we got to get ready. Uh, everything has to be done and prepared ahead of time. And, and so one of the marks of wisdom is this ability to understand that life does not just automatically change as we need to in the moment. So much of life requires uh, foresight, thinking far ahead into the future, uh, planning for far ahead into the future. Uh, and, and if we don't, that's when destruction is going to come, right? The, the picture is if we're waiting until the last minute and then we suddenly need something, right? A down payment on a house or the, the money for some kind of balloon debt that we have. And that's the only time that we're thinking about it. it's going to bring destruction. And so the, the danger that God is warning us against, the path of the fool in the case of how we're working, is that we can't be the now only Christian. Right? And we understand that, especially in today's world, we're living in this culture that's all about the now. It's, I want what I want now. I'm not going to think about the future because I've seen something on social media and I want it now. But so much of the wise Christian life is the ability to be not living in the future, but living in light of the future. The fact that we know that there is going to, that whatever's going to be here in six months is going to be here very soon. And therefore, we have to start preparing for it and now knowing that it's going to come at some point there. And so there's many ways we can think about this, right? Whether it is that you want to have some type of career or you want to buy a house or you want to save it for a car or, or whatever it may be, uh, we have this understanding as wise Christians that, okay, what will my life look like 
in a couple years time, right? If I really want to plan and be wise and be smart with my resources, with uh, what I'm doing for a job, with, with how much I'm making, all of those types of questions, I have to be asking what do I need to do now in order to be ready for many years into the future, as opposed to, hey, next week something's due, uh, what are we gonna do about it, right? I, I think a lot of these principles are, are very intuitive for us. And so the wise individual on God's side, of course, works diligently and hard, uh, plans ahead, but also knows how to avoid excuses. So let's go to that Proverbs 26 passage. Uh, verse 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a lion is in the open square. Mm -hmm. And then verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Great. Uh, what does verse 13 mean? The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. Makes excuses. Yeah, ma makes excuses. Uh, now, could there have been a lion in the street? Yeah, technically, right? But again, this being a proverb, and it's a sluggard, I think we get the, the idea there. It's the picture of an individual that always has some kind of excuse in their mind for not doing something that they should be doing. Uh, especially in that time, right, because roads could have been well kept, uh, you wouldn't typically expect some type of line just sitting there. Um, but again, we have to avoid this danger here of saying, well, I don't want to get that job because it's going to be difficult, or I'm too tired, or it's going to cut into my uh, fun time, whatever it may be. We can always make different types of excuses. And the whole picture of this analogy that we're seeing in verse 13 is, is supposed to be something absurd, right? You know, if you were to think about a person in today's world, again, this is a different context, but to say, well, I don't want to go to work today because there's a lion there. You know, you and I would be saying, something's really off about that picture. I know for sure there's not a lion outside. And there's a similar uh, analogy for us here. We can easily make all types of excuses to not work diligently. Um, we make all types of excuses for why a person maybe got fired or you know, why we weren't able to do something we're called to do, uh, but we can't do that. Right? Another type of excuse is what Marty was reading in verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Right, so the picture of you have seven sages or wise individuals who can give you thoughts or answers on every single hard decision that you want to make over the next year. The sluggard or the fool is the individual that says, no, I, I know what's best. I, I'm going to follow my own way because I saw an Instagram or TikTok video. It told me, you know, how I'm going to make a bunch of money. Uh, there's always a reason to deny or to uh, reject wisdom. And so whatever way we might fall into these categories, we have to access and examine our own life. But this is the danger that God is warning us about sloth. Uh, we see a last summary here in Proverbs 21, 25, and 26, if we can read that. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous quiets and does not hold back. Hmm. Yeah, so if we have this posture of slothness, of sluggardness, of not being willing to work diligently as unto the Lord, as we've said, it will bring destruction over time. Um, I'll read this last one because I, I love the picture. Uh, 1026 says this, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Right? So in other words, if you have to work with a sluggard or you're sending a sluggard away, 
being around the individual is like having smoke in your eyes. Have you guys ever had that experience? Like just the total irritation? Um, I remember one of the very few times uh, this last year where uh, I was at this like bonfire with some people. Where I sat just happened to be right where all the smoke was blowing. But I was too, well, if I'm honest, I was being lazy. I, I was too lazy to move. And so for a whole hour and a half, the, the smoke was just going straight into my face. Uh, it, was a, it was a horrible experience, and I, I regret it even now. But, but that's the picture right, of, of irritation, of discomfort, that being around a sluggard is like. Right? It's not a pleasant experience. It's going to make jobs go horribly. Things are not going to work as they should. Uh, people might get fired or hurt. Uh, this is a dangerous posture to have. Right? So I, again, I, I don't want to belabor the point. This is very obvious. But a Christian should be an individual that's marked um, by hard work. And it's not because we just give arbitrary expectations, right? But as we were hearing, right, you know, Colossians 3.23, we're called to work unto the Lord, right? Going to what we just heard from John 17, which was a wonderfully encouraging sermon. Our purpose is to live for the glory of God, right? We're, we're called to re uh, represent him well, reflect him well. And so if as Christians, we are his manifestation here on earth, how could we not want to work as for God's glory, to work well and diligently and hard? Because uh, otherwise, right, we're going to literally bring disgrace uh, unto the name and to the character of God. One other passage, and I don't want to bring up too many non-proverbs, but it's, it's so worth repeating, you know, comes from 1 Timothy 5, 8, right? And, and there, basically, you know, we're hearing that a Christian needs to be working hard because in this case, a husband, if the husband is not working to the point where he can provide for his family, it says he is literally worse than an unbeliever, right? So the inability or the unwillingness to actually work as God has called us to do as his people, as his image bearers, as those who are living for his glory, if you're not willing and able to work to the point to actually be able to provide for your family, well, either you're not a Christian or you are a Christian and you are in, in such deep sin in, in the sight of God and Paul, that it's like you're worse than an unbeliever, right? Again, that's most likely hyperbole, but you get the idea. Christians need to be marked by diligence in the way that we pursue our work endeavors. I was just gonna add one other thing there. Uh, when you look at poverty in general, you find that there, there's poverty that comes upon people through events and circumstances that they could not control like the, the death of the breadwinner or, or a terrible drought in the agrarian culture. But this is talking about self-inflicted poverty. This is talking about individuals who are lazy and don't want to go to work, and the end result is poverty. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 6 says, If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. And so sometimes... You get the impression sometimes in our culture that all poverty is the result of injustice. And there's certainly a lot of that. But there's plenty of poverty that is inflicted by the behavior and the attitudes of what, what you can mm. discover. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great insight. You know, as we were saying at the very beginning, what we're hearing in Proverbs are principles, not promises, right? And so you don't want to go to the extreme where you read a, a proverb like this and say, well, so if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to be okay, right? 
uh, what we're hearing are general truths that we need to consider, but it's a principle, not the principle, as, as we're going to even hear again. And so, yes, understand that there could be a number of reasons for why a person's in a certain situation. There's not always a one-size-fits-all, but very much so what we're hearing as the warning is self-inflicted poverty or self-inflicted uh, laziness, which is very good. The thing about the perpetual sluggard who will not work, you know, who's George, he gets angry at you because you won't supply his money. You know, he'll get angry at you and make you feel guilty that you're not... You know, yeah, yeah, no, that's very good. Yeah, um, just as we're kind of wrapping up this section, any other insights or, or biblical wisdom you guys have to share about this, you know, the nature of hard work? I think you're both bringing up very helpful insights. Anything else you guys see from the pages of Scripture about the nature of work and diligence? I found another, another one in Ephesians that I was looking for. It said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So it mm-hmm. even goes beyond providing for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great, right? So, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Our goal as Christians is not to work super hard so we have everything, but it's this idea of instead of seeking to always receive, eventually be in a place where we can give, right? To be generous to other people. And yeah, that's a, a wonderful verse. I think, Hillary, you were saying I something? Think you're going to talk about it, so I'll just go. Okay, yeah. And that's, that's totally fine even if you said it now, yeah. There's a couple of, I mean, I get a couple of things going on in my mind. Um, <clears throat> I've seen where there's a man walking down the street, homeless, and the boss I was working for, uh, Bill Betts, the Betts Spring Company, been in business over 100 years, now more, but he saw this homeless man walking down the street, and he gave him a job, so I'm kind of making this story real short. He gave him a job, and this guy took the job, sweeping the floor, and then worked his way up to QC. The thing in our society is that he couldn't get a job because he didn't have an address. So it took a, a businessman to look at him and say, you want a job with no requirements. Because a lot of homeless people, they can't get a job because they don't have an address to put down on an application so they feel like they're in this place. They're stuck in this place. And I seen another man who guarded my car one night. I, I used to work in Oakland, California, mm. okay, in the ghetto area. And so here's this man, homeless, and he washed my car all night because my window, I left it down. I got off work at 1.30 in the morning, walked out, and he says, man, you blew it. So what happened, Eddie? Then he said, he said, man, you got your window down. I didn't see no broken glass around. So it wasn't broken, and I had money. We all had quarters in our car because we had to pay for parking and so he kept he didn't uh, he didn't steal anything out of my car and the rest of us hockey players and uh, and the figure skaters we gave him a job we started paying him we started giving him money the women started bringing him in food and clothing and we supplied his yeah. we, we supplied for him yeah but he was one that probably could have got a job 
but he didn't want to work. Sure. But he did do that work. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, the, the, yeah, going into how economics and all this applies to the way that our countries run, that is a giant question, right? And it's very complex and nuanced. So thank you for bringing up those stories. Uh, yeah, when we're hearing principles like this, yeah, we can think about how it applies to other people in society at, at large, right? It should, as we're thinking as Christians, but it's also very important that we're thinking about how it applies to us personally as well. Right? So yes, there could be many reasons for what's happening across the country. Uh, the big question for us from Proverbs is how are we thinking about it ourselves as well? So um, th th thank you for all of that. Let's move on to the second um, topic, and, and this is where we're going to cover a lot. Because uh, as we're thinking about the nature of work, all of this is very much connected to our wealth, right? That's what we see in Proverbs. This is what we see in real life. I uh, just want to start off with three caveats, which uh, has already been mentioned to some degree. What we're hearing in Proverbs are principles, not promises. So even in what we're saying as we go through some of these, just remember that you can't read a verse and say in 100% of circumstances it will always apply. It's likely, it's probable that this is what happens. But again, we live in a fallen, broken world with many different circumstances. So this will not always be the case. A second thing to remember, uh, wealth is helpful, but not ultimate. Right? And I'm going to give some clarifications at the end, but we have to remind ourselves that the goal of the Christian life is not to just accumulate and gain as much wealth as we can. As we're going to see in a little bit, if you're living according to God's wisdom, it does tend to bring more wealth over time, but that's not the goal of the Christian life. Um, you know, Proverbs 11, 26 says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Right? In other words, yes, there's principles which we're going to see do tend to lead to more wealth over time. But if that's what you're ultimately living for, it's going to bring distraction. So just keep that in mind. It's helpful, but it's not an ultimate thing. And then thirdly or finally, uh, wealth will look different in different cultures. Right? So as you're hearing some of the analogies in Proverbs that we cover today or in the future, it's not that, hey, if I'm living according to God's word now, I will be a millionaire, or I'm going to have a house, or, or whatever it is, you're going to do better than you would otherwise. Um, but what you know, wealth looks like is going to vary. Uh, I, again, I would say the fact that all of us can have food and a, a shelter, that is a sign of wealth if you compare us to the rest of the world. Um, but in general, just remember that this is going to look different depending on uh, you know, where you are in the world. Okay. So what, what does the scripture, what does the proverb say generally about wealth? Uh, there's a couple things. So let's find, for time's sake, we're going to do one verse from each of these sections. So can someone get Proverbs 13.8? Okay. And then Proverbs 10.15. Everyone should just be willing to raise their hand at some point. Okay. And then uh, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Okay, perfect. Okay, so first, Proverbs 13.18. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then Proverbs 14, 21, or 24 says, The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Right, so Proverbs is saying that in general, if you're living according to the principles of God's wisdom, which in part is the importance of hard work, there's a lot of other factors which we've looked at and we will look at in the future, but if you're living in the wisdom of God, the fear of God, pursuing his pursuits and priorities, in general, that tends to lead uh, to greater wealth, right? The crown of the wise is their wealth, 
And as Courtney was reading, poverty and disgrace comes to him who ignores instruction. So again, there's, there's a correlation here, not always a causation or a guarantee. But in general, uh, if you're following the principles of God, it will tend uh, to lead to greater levels of resources. And I think as uh, this might have come from Pastor Jerry or, or someone else, we have to be careful to not overgeneralize. It's not that every single person that has a lot of money is living in the fear of the Lord. And it's not that every person who has less money is living some type of foolish lifestyle. There are many reasons and causes for wealth and poverty. But this is the general trend that we see is if you're living in wisdom, you will in general tend to have more than if you were living in folly. Uh, a second general principle, we see Proverbs 10, 15. If we can read that. The rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. Yeah, and so this is just saying in general, as we understand, having wealth, having resources provides a level of general security in life. So if you've ever had a, a circumstance where, uh, you know, your, your house or basement got flooded, or you got into a car accident, or you know, a loved one fell ill, or, or something took place, we understand that if you have a safety cushion of resources or finances, that tends to make life a little bit easier, right? You're not gonna have your entire world destroyed, as opposed to if you don't have resources, then when destruction comes, when hard times come, it's gonna be a lot more difficult. Right? If you've known or if you've been in the circumstance where you really needed a certain medication and you just don't have the resources to pay for it, or you have a car that's broken down, that was your one way to be able to get to your job, and suddenly that's total and you can't get another one. Uh, we just understand this to be true. Uh, another general principle is what we see in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Hmm. And Proverbs 11:24 says, "One gives freely yet grows all the richer; another withholds what he should give and only suffers want." Um, these two proverbs are, are painting this picture that if you are the generous individual, if you are a follower of God, there are many cases in which uh, that money will actually be uh, multiplied. Right? And this is not the health wealth gospel. We have to be careful of that. It's not saying, "Hey." Give, you know, this church $1,000 and it multiplies to 10000 right? We see all types of crazy things like that. But one of the principles you do see in Proverbs is that there's a sense in which if we're being generous to the Lord, uh, that money and somehow will make its way back, right? And it's not that we are giving to get something back, but it's this idea that if we are truly being generous as God calls us to, we're not going to have to worry about the fact that we just lost some money. Um, things will tend to work out there. Uh, now, how that actually works, again, it's nuanced and complicated, right? It's not a formula that I give money and then I'm always going to get it back. But the lifestyle of the person who is living in the fear of the Lord, walking in the principles of Scripture, and therefore being a generous individual tends to live the kind of life in which some of those resources do eventually make their way back. Uh, so these are some general uh, principles. Uh, just for time's sake, unfortunately, we want to move on to the second category some warnings that Proverbs also gives us here. So uh, let's have Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. Someone have that? Okay, Danny. Uh, let's get people who haven't read yet. So uh, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 4. Okay, Dina. And then uh, whoever was just shouting that out, you can read Proverbs 12, verse 9. And then someone find Proverbs 37 to 9. Okay, great. 
bed. Okay, we'll start again with Proverbs 6. This is the danger of debt. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Yeah, so this is in the same chapter as the, the passage about the sluggard and the ant and the importance of hard work. But here, right, this is Solomon, this is God pleading, saying, be careful of uh, basically debt, right? If you've given something that you have as like a surety or as a pledge to someone where you're going to lose it if you're not able to accomplish what you have to do, that can be very uh, dangerous, right? And again, these are principles, not promises. You can listen to the whole financial stewardship class. It's not that every single type of debt can be dangerous, but a lot of the types of debt that people get into where you're wanting something before you actually have the resources to pay for it can be extremely dangerous, right? I mean, the, the easiest way that I think a lot of us will understand is uh, credit card debt, right? You really want something now, you don't have the money for it, but hey, I can put it on a credit card and, and I'll pay for it over time. Uh, you can very easily be living way above your means and then therefore fall into some kind of trouble if you're not able to pay for it back. Uh, you know, sometimes that could be with a car or other things, but we have to be careful of having this posture in which we think, I want something now, and so I'll pay for it later, right? I'm not saying that every single type of debt is bad. There are ways that certain types can be used well and wisely, uh, but the principle that we have to be careful of is in general, right? If we're running after all types of debt, that will bring a lot of destruction into our life um, over time. Uh, another warning here is uh, 23 verse 4. And then Proverbs 15, 16, is better is a little with the fear of Yahweh than great treasure and trouble with it. Um, so going to, to Tina's verse there, it says, don't toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. Do you guys understand what that's saying there? Right, so in general, as we've heard from some of these other Proverbs, wealth or resources can be a good thing, right? It's morally neutral, but part of wisdom is knowing when you need to stop chasing after it. Right, the understanding that as Christians, we have our spiritual priorities. There are things that we're, we're called to do as believers we must do. And I think all of us have probably seen in so many cases in our lives or in our families' lives, people that want money or whatever money brings so much that they're willing to sacrifice everything else. Um, I don't know if maybe some of you had a dad uh, that you just never really saw growing up because he was so busy with the job that he could never be around the family. Uh, or, or a person that's so consumed with wanting to uh, work hard and, and buy certain things that then, you know, he's forsaking other priorities that he's called to do, uh, we can so easily get caught in this type of rat race. And so God is saying in that verse, be discerning enough to desist. We need to pursue finances and wealth in a proper, healthy way to provide for our families and do the things that we're called to do, but it's not meant to be an idol in our life. Can anyone think, uh, what are the main priorities we have as Christians that we have to make sure we have in the right order before we think about like work and wealth? What, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Okay, God, yes. Thank you for that. Yes, this is a Sunday school, good. So God, of course, right, that's number one. What else? Uh, spouse, okay, yeah, okay. 
children? Food. Food? Okay, yeah, we do need to eat, yeah. Shelter, okay, good. There's one other one that I'm thinking of too that's in quite a bit of the New Testament. Where's your ring? Uh, that, that is a very valid question. Yeah, save your marriage. Yeah, make sure you're, you're loving your spouse. Um, the church is, is the other category. So, you know, part of how, you know, Christians should be making decisions, right? We think about what is our priority, what is not. How do we rank our priorities and make sure we're doing the things that we're called to do is how is your relationship with the Lord? Are we doing the things in scripture and prayer and devotions where we're making sure we genuinely are loving, pursuing him with everything? And afterwards, only once that's guaranteed and set in our schedules and time, how is your relationship with your spouse if you're married? Are you loving and serving the other, uh, pointing to them to Christ in the way that you're called to do that? Um, how are you doing that then with your kids? Right? Only after your spouse. A lot of you know, married couples get that switch. After you're making sure your relationship with your spouse is biblical, how are you caring for your kids in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord? Training them and pointing them the, to the way that they should. And then how is the relationship with God's church, right? The rest of your corporate church family, um, being involved in one another's lives, having the types of relationships in which iron is sharpening iron, we're pointing one another to uh, the Lord. And after that, then you begin to think about your work and your activities and your hobbies. And after all of that, then you have you at the very bottom of all of it, right? Um, that's in general the, the way that we understand our priorities as Christians. Uh, and so again, when we think about work, it is really important that we're engaged in it. As we were reading in the first part, you don't want to be a lazy Christian who just isn't caring about things. But so oftentimes that pursuit of money or whatever stuff you buy with that money uh, jumps to the top or to the second place or the third place when it should really be six, seven, or eight. Um, so that's the, the danger that we see here. Beware of idolatry. Uh, another danger is in Proverbs 12, verse 9. Who had that passage? Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Yeah, right. So, and this is connected to the, the chasing after money or wealth, but it's saying it's better to be lowly and have a servant, right? To be in a place to where you're not be really being seen as, you know, a lot of hot stuff, but you have resources than to play the great man and lack bread. And, and so for the individual that's chasing after wealth, sometimes you can run to this risk of uh, buying beyond your means or above your pay grade, right? Where you want it to look a certain way, when in reality, you don't actually have the resources to be able to, um, you know, sustain that. Think about this in... Um, uh, Southern California, you know, where I grew up, there's a lot of communities where, where that's everything, right? If you think about SoCal, Hollywood, uh, in one community that I was living in, uh, it was actually the culture where everyone needed to have a luxury car. So it would be like a Mercedes, a Range Rover, you know, something like that. Even if you barely had anything else, right? You, you, you could barely afford a house or an apartment. Everyone had to drive a super, super nice car um, and they just couldn't, you know, sustain it. But we can easily fall into that trap of trying to keeping up appearances, right? Looking a certain way or keeping up with the Joneses, as they say. Um, so that's another danger. Uh, and this last one, I think, hopefully just kind of summarizes it up. It's um, Proverbs 37 to 9.
seek the Lord, unless I be poor and steal and proclaim the name of my God. Yeah, so I, I know that's a lot to take in, but I'll, I'll summarize it like this. If we're living according to God's word and principles, right, the, the path of wisdom and not folly, it does tend to lead to a life where you have more wealth, right? Because you're an individual who is content. You're hardworking. You have your right priorities. You're, you're not blowing your money on a ton of uh, non-necessities, right? So in general, you will tend to have more wealth if you're living a godly, wise life. But we have to be careful, as we talked about, that wealth does not become an idol, Right? And so what the, the proverb here is saying is, well, you know, as I'm praying, let me not have too much. Right? Why? Because he's saying, you know, lest I be full, right, in this case with food, and, and deny you and say, where is Yahweh? Right? So we understand, especially as you read through the New Testament, that there's a great danger in a lot of wealth as well. Right? Because if you get so comfortable in life, you can get to the point where, hey, everything is good. I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to, you know, pray to God because I, I'm really taking care of myself. Uh, maybe we've been there in the past or maybe you know of people like that. Um, so that is one of the, the great dangers we have to be careful of, which is if you are chasing after wealth, there's a certain point at which you need to, right, you know, to provide for your family, have the bare necessities. But beyond that, beyond having enough to get by in life, our resources can easily become an idol that tears us away from God. Um, but there's the other extreme danger as well. He also says, or pray, you know, give me lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so poverty also has its own set of idolatries or dangers or temptations, you know, where you do things that you shouldn't be in order to get wealth. Or I think what's most common uh, whether it's the, the sin of envy or jealousy or pride, where then you're just, you know, lusting after what other people have as well. Um, so all that to say is that, you know, there is a danger of, of sin in every part of life, right? The reality is, depending on how we are doing financially, that danger can look different. Um, the, 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 the temptations we face will be different. And so we have to be mindful of that. Just because we suddenly have a bunch of money doesn't mean that the battle is going to be over uh, in the Christian life. Okay, so I've said a lot there. Uh, any thoughts or questions about that so far, uh, about these principles around wealth, um, our circumstances, our finances? Can we just... Um, yeah, we'll get to you in a second, John. And I think the danger is whether you make your money or your wealth from the strength of your back or the strength of your mind, remember that it's God who's giving you that ability and not of yourself. And I think a lot of, mainly unbelievers, but some believers can get prideful and think, oh, look what I've accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a very helpful principle. Uh, you might want to consider every once in a while, you know, looking at your bank account, stock account, whatever it is that you have, if it's six figures, three figures, two figures, right, whatever the number is, and every once in a while look at it and say, God, this is yours, mm -hmm. right? Um, I own zero of this. Everything in this is, is yours. How can I glorify you with this today? 
Um, and of course, that doesn't mean you're going to withdraw it all and then suddenly spend it on something. But yeah, just having that posture as you're saying, which is, God, I don't own anything. As we just heard, my entire life is to be lived for the glory of God. And so with this, what would honor and bless you? Um, that's a really good posture to have. I would just say in that it's sometimes hard if you have a type A personality to find a balance. Like, how do I glorify God in my work and not make it an idol? Um, and so I, 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 I appreciate the message today and just going through this. But I think it is hard sometimes to figure out, like, how do I do my best to glorify God even in my housework or with my children where I don't let it run me down? And, or in my work that I do, or whatever it is. So yeah. I feel like it is, a, it is sometimes a hard balance. Yeah, no, it, it very much is. And that's where wisdom comes in, is the understanding of, okay, with all the commands I'm called to do, pursue it in the right order or the right way. And uh, yeah, even in what you're saying, you, you see the two dangers of, of sloth or greed right here, where it's, okay, you can run so far into doing what you're called to do, but that being too high of a priority where it becomes an idol, or not pursuing it at all and becoming the sluggard, right? Both of those are, are dangers that we have to avoid. Yeah. I mean, she just said, how hard is it for a rich man to do the kingdom of God? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's easier for what? Yeah, have you guys actually... Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Um, I don't know if it's obvious. I don't usually sew. And so it took me a while to actually see a needle and realize how small those little holes are. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's tiny. <laughs> I finally understood, yeah, that it really is hard. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and so that, that's the danger. When we have wealth and any amount, right, great is subjective, right? We live in America. Um, that can so easily become an idol that pulls our focus off of God. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing to say. I have a lot of things that might be embarrassing, but God did a great work in my life. Uh, when I first came to know the Lord, I only had, I couldn't read. So I had to go by just pretty much what I heard. And I was listening to a pastor in church talk about everything you got belongs to the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. so you're saying. So I took everything out of the bank. I gave everything to the Lord, you know. Yeah. I didn't have no money. I didn't have nothing. So it came time to pay bills at that time of the month. And uh, so I started writing out uh, checks to pay the bills, and I came up $15 short. I didn't have no, no, not enough to, no money to pay that bill. Mm. And so I, like, okay, I'm just paying the bills off of what the check I just got, you know? And I, it was in the bank, and, and we didn't have all this auto deposit back then. And uh, so I had put this money in the bank, and I went to pay out the bills. And right when I said I didn't have no $15 to pay this next bill, the phone rang. And some guy says, hey, is Terry there? I said, no, Terry's not here. He said, you know anything about basketball? And I said, yeah. Well, I mean, I played it. But he said, well, I need a referee. I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And it pays $5 a game. You got three games. Can you do three games tonight? Oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I did it. And, uh, you know, I... And the only thing I remember out of that whole night was some guy yelling at me, like, that was yeah. a moving screen, <laughs> right in my face, you know, sweat yeah. coming off of Yeah. And it was just like, that's all I remember. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know what a moving screen is. Yeah. And um, I refereed and got the 15 bucks to yeah. pay the bill. But the Lord had to teach me. Mm. Everything don't mean everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, and, and that, that's an encouraging story. Thanks for sharing that, Ed. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll get there in just a second. Yeah, and this is part of where wisdom comes, right? Is we understand, hey, God, all of my money is God's money, 
But what's the wise way to think about doing that? I don't know if you were, uh, if you said you were married or single at the time, but let's say you had, okay, yeah. So let's say you have a bunch of, you know, kids. It is, it would be a unwise or foolish thing to, you know, know that you have to feed them that evening and say, yeah, but I just want to give all my money to God, right? You know, now God can definitely work through circumstances, but that's part of the decisions we have to think about. So, yeah, Uh, Emerson, Diane. I was just going to say some of our greatest lessons in our walk with God is when we're in warmth like that. And they're great when children's there. Mm. When they see there's a need here. Yeah. It's beyond our control. And we seek the Lord on it and just say, this is the way it's going to be. And God comes through in remarkable, Mm. remarkable ways. Yeah. And for us to see that increases our faith and grows our faith and our children see it. Mm. And their faith is undergirded in a new way. So in our want, there's some neat things. Yeah. It's not that somebody didn't plan or whatever or do something foolish. It's just there's a need that shows up that has to be dealt with. And mm. God meets it in unique ways, just like he got a $15 job when he needed $15. Yeah. Right. Those things are tremendous. I'm old enough, I'm probably the oldest one in this room. There's a lot of years that you add those things up. And if your kids didn't see them, tell your children about mm-hmm. Because those are ways that undergird their faith. Yeah. And again, going to the idea of family discipleship, that's where as you're living the Christian walk in front of them, right, that becomes a testimony to them and then to everyone they come in contact with. So. Yeah, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Yeah, yeah and, and thanks for everything you guys are sharing. Those are really helpful thoughts. This can be applied in many different directions in many different ways. And even as I've said before, this is a small snapshot about how much Proverbs unpacks around wealth, or resources, finances. We don't have time to break every single one down. But uh, like I said, the goal is to at least give you a little bit to think about, a little bit of a teaser. Um, so hopefully you can think about it more as we go from here. I want to mention something that Kevin DeYoung has uh, written about. I, don't, I saw it in an article. It might have come from a book. Um, but he was trying to talk about how do we as Christians read these Proverbs, uh, read God's verses on wealth in a, in a balanced manner, right? Where we're doing it that is wise, where we're not going too far with um, things. And I like a couple of these statements he had here. If you have a handout, it's there. Um, obviously, I want to read it here as well. It says, You'll probably, so this is talking about the nature of wealth in God's sight with wisdom. You'll probably acquire more money if you work hard and are full of wisdom. But if all you care about is getting more money, you are the biggest fool. Right? So the path of wisdom tends to bring more, but the goal is not to have all of it. Right? That's not supposed to be your Lord and master. Uh, a second principle, money is a blessing from God, but you'll be more blessed if you give it away. And so God gives us our, our resources for purpose, but as we're serving and following him, we will be blessed actually if we give it away. Uh, God gives you money because he is generous, but he is generous with you so that you can be generous with others. And if you are generous with your money, God will likely be more generous with you, right? It's not a, a guaranteed thing. I give $100, I get $1,000 back. That's not the point. But if we're intentional to be generous in an act of worship to God, he will take care of us. Um, Another one, it's wise to save money, but don't ever think money gives you real security, right? So it's in prudence, we should save some amount, right? So we're not living paycheck to paycheck. And that's a whole other conversation of how to get there. 
but we never look at the number in our bank account and say, because it's this amount, now I feel good, right? I've got to the point where now I can serve in the church or, or, or do whatever. Uh, money can never give us true lasting security. Uh, just go back to 2008, right? Uh, and then finally, wealth is more desirable than poverty, but wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. Right? So at, though pa, uh, Proverbs says a lot about the nature of wealth in that book, and it tells us what we can pursue to lead to the kind of lifestyle which tends to generate more wealth than the, the life of folly, that's not our goal. Right? We need to be those who are pursuing the Lord, pursuing Christ's likeness as we heard this morning, honoring him in our relationships, all that are the greatest priorities, and only after we figured out our relationship to God, our spouse, our families, our church, then we can think about everything else as well. Um, we want to have God's priorities in the way that we navigate all of that. So here's uh, one last set of uh, reflection questions to be thinking of. The first one, which I think again is on your sheet, would the people closest to you describe you as a, well, as a typo, as a hard worker or a sluggard? In what direction is your life headed? Uh, what excuses for laziness do you tend to make? Uh, like last week, I'm saying with the people closest to you, I, I'm using that because we often deceive ourselves, right? If you're just ask yourself, hey, am I a hard worker? Well, you'd probably be more flattering than, than maybe you, know, you should be. But, but when you have people that genuinely love you and are willing to say the hard truths, what would they actually say? And so are you truly, by the definition of people that can actually examine your life, be seen as a hard worker or a sluggard? But then also, right, this is the second question, in what direction is your life headed? Because many of us recognize ways that maybe we're not as diligent or as disciplined as we should be, but that's okay, right? We're not saved by that, but life is about our direction, not perfection. In what direction are we growing? Are we seeking to become more like Christ in the way that we work diligently hard? Are we being intentional to confess the sins of uh, not having self-control or, or being selfish or whatever it may be? Are we willing to pursue change to be able to honor Christ? And then the second group of questions, which again is very general, um, what changes in your heart posture towards money do you need to make? So as we were looking at some of these verses, maybe you see it as an idol, right? Where everything you're doing is to chase a certain standard of life. And maybe it's not a number in a bank account, but again, it's what the, the money gets you. It's needing a certain type of lifestyle or a number of vacations or whatever it may be. Has money potentially become an idol in your life? Uh, or maybe are you scared of, of resources and finances, right? You, you've known people that have just gone off the deep end and not taking care of what they need to do, so you just don't want to think about it at all. And because of that, you're not being wise and planning for the future in a way that would be helpful or prudent to care for your family or a future family. Uh, but also, what changes in your saving, spending, and earning do you need to make? So if we need to live by some of these principles, what we covered today is a very small snapshot, but if we need to live out these principles of financial wisdom, what does it actually mean for your life today? Uh, do you know if you're spending beyond your means or not? Are you seeking to be generous with what you have to serve God and serve his people with the money you have, or do you just hold on to all of it for yourself and for your family? Um, maybe it's the fact that you recognize, you know what, I don't have any kind of money, and so I can't be generous in serving the church or people. 
what does that mean for maybe your career path and what you potentially have to do? Um, this can be applied in so many different ways, but all of us should be able to recognize that some aspect of how we are using our resources needs to change because they're not our resources, right? They're God's resources as we heard. And that has to drive everything about how we're living. And the general question, right? This is something that you could really ask your spouse or a close friend. Uh, what is your unhealthy tendency, right? So thinking about the nature of how you work, what you prioritize, where you spend your money, how much money you have, you know, what is unhealthy about your worldview of what you have of how you're using it? Um, that's going to be different for every single one of us, but that's a very, very general question that I think is, is important to ask ourselves um, every once in a while. Because as we've seen, wisdom, God's wisdom demands that we use what we have for his glory. And that's going to be different for every one of us, but we use it for him. So just as we're uh, wrapping up, I'd love to hear if you guys have any other last comments or questions, especially if there were questions, because I don't think we really um, got to that. Anything come to mind for all of us? No? Do you feel ready to spend your money differently tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I would just say that it's important that you keep in mind when it comes to this whole matter of life of leisure, your hard work, your family, your church, uh, that you have to keep in mind not to violate one of God's principles in order to do another. Mm. In other words, like um, was told earlier, uh, the man is told that he needs to provide for his family. Uh, so it's not good for him you know, to give away all of the money so he can't provide for the family. Uh, or, you know, a person who wants to be diligent, a hard worker, to, to the damage to his family or his church or his spiritual life. And it's a, it's a, to, to quote a famous theologian whose name is Mr. Miyagi, Karate Kid, <laughs> he said, go, into, go and find balance. Hmm. <laughs> and that's what, you know, you, in these principles, just as you mentioned, the best thing you could do is make sure there's balance. Mm. I'm a hard worker, but I'm caring for my family. I'm a diligent provider, but I'm not neglecting my spiritual life. Yeah. You know, that, that I think is really significant in this whole thing is, can I find balance? Yes. And, and thank you for saying that. That's literally what the wisdom is. Yes. And when we talk about wisdom being a skill for living well, it's the skill, it's the knowledge, it's the ability to say, given all the things I'm called to do, I'm prioritizing and shaping my life so I'm doing all of them without neglecting one. And yeah, I, I think the, the more you read the Bible, the more you grow in the Christian life, we realize in so many ways that we fall short. But as we grow, we learn over time to make the right priorities so we can do all of the above. It's so, great. Yeah, last comment. When I first got saved, uh, somebody encouraged me to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you probably know that verse. Encompasses all of these proverbs. It's, Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, and all, mm. in all your ways acknowledge Him. And I think that's the key. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, whether you're poverty or wealth, or whether you're compromised, or whether you're, you know, whether it's the matter of your tongue, if you're, if you're bringing God into into that situation, I don't know. It's a promise, but it's, it's a promise to me. He will He will make your path straight. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's encouraging, right? And that's why everything, even in Proverbs, it starts with what? The fear of the Lord. It's knowing him, it's trusting in him, it's loving him. That's the beginning of wisdom because that has to be the starting places then we follow everything else, okay? So I hope you guys found that um, helpful and encouraging. It's a really fast flyby because there's so much more we can get into. But uh, again, I hope this makes you want to dig more into Proverbs. Just to read a couple things as always, uh, you know, if you haven't signed up for the class on the church app, please do so. It just helps us to better shepherd the church as a whole. You know, on the home screen, you can always read the announcements. And so I just want to do that real quick so we know some of the things that are going on. Uh, if you guys, um, for the men in the group, if you've never checked out the Forge, please consider doing that. Uh, you know, it's our men's leadership training that happens every Friday morning. We're going through a homardiology and then, um, what's the other one? Anthropology, right? So it's, it's very helpful topics. Please consider doing that and a great way just to be uh, sharpened in accountability as well. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah already mentioned the fact that we're having the annual business meeting and baptism this coming Friday, so please come if you're able to. It uh, should be a great time hearing some testimonies as well. And then just know we do have the uh, high school retreat coming up. The junior high students are away right now, but if you have a high schooler, uh, that conference is going to be February 23rd to 25th. Um, so if they're part of Ascend, you can look forward to having that weekend off. But if you also have middle schoolers, I'm sorry, they'll still be here on that weekend. So, well, guys, thank you so much for everything. If you have more questions, I'll be around. But I uh, hope you guys have a great Sunday, and we'll see you guys next week.